And one of the, the best pieces of advice I ever had from a business consultant in my first business was um, he just said, look, double your prices, see what happens. You may lose a couple of customers, but you'll probably keep most of them and you'll be making twice the money. Today, we talk the psychology of price. How much are you worth? What is the unconscious price you've placed on your life, your self-esteem? The same way changing the price of a product or service changes how people value the offering, it's the same way changing the price you have in your mind will change who and what you attract. Perhaps it's time to change your price. Hey guys, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. I'm Timothy Maurice, your behavioral psychology author. And today, my goal is for you to rethink how you price your products and yourself. How much are you really worth? Are your goods priced too low, crippling demand? Price influences perception. And today, I get a chance to share a conversation with the author of The Psychology of Price, How to Use Price to Increase Demand, Profit, and Customer Satisfaction Lee Caldwell. Lee is an economist and mathematician and the founding partner of The Irrational Agency, a behavioral science firm helping brands understand their consumer psychology and deepest desires. I want the insights in this episode to help you attract better people, build better relationships with consumers. Meet Lee Caldwell. Enjoy. Lee, welcome. How are you, man? Uh, I'm not bad, thanks. Uh, just recovering from colds, but uh, I, uh, I should be ready to speak to you today. Uh, lovely to meet you. Yeah, same, man. You are in Canada at the moment. Yeah, I'm at the uh, TED conference in Vancouver and uh, just uh, just an attendee this time, not a speaker, but uh, I am uh, very much enjoying getting to hear some new ideas here at uh, one of the, yeah. the kind of best places for that to happen. Yeah, and the networking is really awesome as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. So we're going to kick off the show with my favorite feature on any podcast. <laughs> it happens to be on my podcast called Inside the Mind. Can we go inside your mind? Uh, yeah, I will open up my, my brain to you. Awesome. Well, here we go. Inside your mind, you can only choose one. Winter or summer? Hmm. Uh, let's say, let's say winter. It's, uh, it's underrated and, uh, it's a very beautiful <laughs> time of year. Yeah. It's funny. I thought I was the only one <laughs> hunting or fishing. Oh, wow. Um, I, well, I guess fishing, I've never hunted. So I, uh, and I have occasionally fished my, my dad used to take me fishing as a kid. So, um, that's the only one that I've got experience with. Um, so let's say fishing. Let's say we teleported you back to a teenager and this is with the benefit of what you know now math class or art class <laughs> um oh really interesting so uh, art class um i if if i'm if i'm getting everything i know now because i'm a mathematician so you know i i have all that math knowledge already <laughs> i hope i hope i have all the math knowledge of that today's teenagers are getting maybe maybe they've moved on uh but yeah art class i uh I kind of missed out on a lot of that as a teenager. So I uh, would probably go back and try and uh, (laughs) pick up some more. Awesome. Tea or coffee? Coffee. So I heard you ask this to somebody else. Um, I'm a coffee lover. Um, 
I, uh, being British, tea is a big thing for us, and my fiance is a Persian, so it's tea is also huge for their culture. Um, but uh, I've managed to hold out so far, and I'm still a, a coffee addict. The tangible or intangible? Ah, intangible. That's uh, that's a big theme for me. And uh, yeah, I think that the the objects in our heads that are the intangible things that are important to us um, are as valuable and, and more valuable often than the tangible possessions that we have. So yeah, I'm going for that. Sunrise or sunset? Huh. I, I, it's pretty rare for me to see the sunrise. So uh, let's go for the sunset. And then finally, number seven, radio or podcast? Huh. Um, well, just going by the statistics, I listen to more podcasts than radio. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess podcast is going to be, um, it's, uh, I, well, let's not get into like a debate about the world of podcasting because, uh, it's, uh, that's a bit, <laughs> a bit meta, but, um, yeah, exactly. yeah, there's always, there's more, there's more to be learned on podcasts than on the radio. And I'm not a big music listener. Um, people are surprised sometimes I say I just not really into music as a whole. Um, mm. and, uh, like I know some people cannot even imagine a person that doesn't really like love listening to music. Um, but, um, yeah, for me, knowledge is a bit more motivating. All right. Well, thank you so much for allowing us to go inside your mind. I know it can feel a little bit intrusive, but I really appreciate it. So let's dive into the conversation. You, you know, you spent, you know, a couple decades, you know, in a very different field on many levels. But for the last, since I think 2012, you founded the Irrational Agency. What's yeah. one of the things that has really surprised you about the research you guys are doing on human behavior? So I think um, what's what's changed in that period is the what I've realized is the importance of storytelling and narrative. And so at the time uh, when we started this in 2012, and, and I've been working in behavioral science a little bit for the, the few years before that, um, I guess I, we were taking uh, an approach that was a, that was a bit more classical kind of economic modeling style, even though it was still behavioral economics, it was still about psychology. Um, it was about things like understanding preferences and looking at models of utility, but how utility uh, the utility function is different in a behavioral world than in the classical rational world. Um, but what I think hadn't become clear yet was the importance of narrative and how the, the stories that we build in our heads, um, the, the mental models that we have of the world and how we navigate those mental models using, you know, we, we tell ourselves a story to make the world make sense. Um, and that story motivates us, that story gives us pleasure, that story guides ultimately our choices and behavior. That is what is the most, the biggest change over those 10 years. And so that's um, probably the, I guess, what I call the biggest surprise. Then you are a mathematician and an economist. Oh. Why are you so interested in people? Why am I interested in people? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so... When I started my career, when I started my business uh, as a mathematician, as a, uh, you know, I was in technology, I was building software. And I, um, I think I, I had this assumption that people were rational. You know, I was, I studied my classical economic theory at school. I, 
um, basically I'd read the business books and more or less everything was based on the assumption. If you do X, then Y will follow that. Uh, you know, if you sell things cheaper, more people will buy it. If you add more features to your products, more people will buy it. And so I tried to run my software business on that basis for many years. And basically it was really, really hard work. And, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't working that well. It, it took, kind of confronting myself with this question uh, of why are people not behaving as they logically should behave um, according to mathematics um, to realize that, okay, one, that there's another whole le level of psychology that I was not appreciating. But secondly, then, as I as I explored and learned more about that, you know, I went to behavioral economics conferences. I um, started in, I guess, 20, 2006, 2007, um, just quite at the beginning of this movement. I started to learn about um, the uh, the work of of Kahneman and Saylor and Ariely and uh, and these leading thinkers. And I one so one I realized that there was this whole area that hadn't been explored. But secondly, I thought, you know what? There, I can still bring my mathematical approach and talents to to this world. I can still use mathematics to analyze human behavior, even if it doesn't follow the rules of classical rationality. Um, and so, I the the analogy I use sometimes. I don't know if you ever watched The Big Bang Theory, but there's a yes. Um, there is a um, there's an episode where Sheldon, um, with his like his mathematical kind of uh, expert physics head decides um i want to understand how to make friends and he kind of has a whiteboard of like how do how do you make a friend and what how do you analyze like what humans need from each other in friendship you know using like mathematical language and formulas and although i, I hope i'm not quite as much a caricature as that but that was definitely <laughs> my you know my my same idea you know I, you can bring the power of mathematics to understand human thinking human behavior um and i guess one of the ways that shows up is in pricing because prices are numbers and so that's that's probably one of the reasons that i came into um came into writing the book was the idea that price is a mathematical manifestation of all of the irrationalities of human behavior yeah this is a great chapter in history where minds like yourself you know if you would have looked back 40 50 years i mean this was unheard of right this you know behavioral psychology uh using underpinned by economic theories and merging theories i mean one of the most fascinating parts about you know numbers is that there's just so much of our brains are driven by numbers and and systems and so forth in chapter three of your book you speak about reading your customer's mind yeah uh, and, and i know how i know from when you wrote this book to now so much has evolved, but so much has remained the same that your ability to read a customer's mind is integral, is key to your work at Irrational Agency, right? Yeah, yeah. How do you um, guys go about it? Yeah, okay. So I think the uh, one thing that we do is we kind of split the mind up because there's so much, so much going on in a person's head. Um, we look at it through these different um dimensions and you will know of course about the um the classical you know system one versus system two division system one is the unconscious automatic reaction system two yes. the deliberative calculation um we so we look at the what's going on something else that we call system three which is the imaginative part of the mind so this is where that storytelling takes place it's where um if you encounter a new 
product or a new brand, you project yourself into the future. You imagine what might it be like to eat this new flavor of ice cream, to drive this new car, to uh, consume this new product. And you're using mental simulation. You're feeling the emotions that you would experience if you bought this product. Um, and, and you're evaluating, is this, does this story have a happy ending? And am I going to buy it or not? So we start by splitting the mind up into these different, um, areas of concern. And then we use, um, market research tools that we developed to, to drill and in, dive into the, um, what's going on in each of those sections. Um, so it's, you know, you could think a little bit like you're getting inside my mind in the, the beginning of the podcast. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's ways of asking questions that get past sure. the surface. Cause you, you know, you ask someone a straightforward question, uh, especially about pricing. Uh, you say, how much do you want to pay for this box of cereal? Well, that person's going to, first, they're going to tell you the lowest number they can come up with because they think that that will make you sell it cheaper. Um, secondly, they're going to, um, they're going to, um, kind of project, uh, the world they want to live in where cereal is cheaper, where products are easier to buy. And they don't want to confront themselves with the difficult trade-offs that really do confront us in real life, which is, well, if I buy this, I'm spending the money and I can't buy that anymore. So they, everybody wants to avoid those difficult tensions. And so, for all those reasons, they'll give you a price that is, that is basically too low, is, is, is inaccurate. Um, and it's the same when you ask almost any kind of research question. People will, not through their own fault, but through their own biases, will give you answers that are wrong. And so we need to develop, um, specific methodologies that ask very indirect questions. So for example, you might put people into a simulated scenario. Um, that might be through talking them through, uh, tell us about the last time you went to the grocery store. Um, what, you know, what, what day was it? What was the weather like? Did you drive or did you walk or did you take the bus? Um, when you walked in, what did you see? And then we might show them some pictures of a grocery store to help like create that whole atmosphere and, and put them into the real mindset. And then we'll confront them with those uh, tensions and those challenges. So we'll show them a shelf. And so here are the, eight boxes of cereal you could buy and you've only got um you know twenty dollars or fifteen pounds or two hundred rands in your pocket. Um how, what are you going to spend it on? And then if they take one box of cereal off the shelf, then we take the money out of their their virtual wallet so they can't spend it again. And so then they're really confronted with, oh wait, if I actually see this cereal, uh will I will I really pay the um, you know, the $8 or the $4 mm. that it costs. Um, and you get, you start to get these, um, a much more real picture of their true behavior. Uh, you can look at how quickly do they answer a question because that tells you, is this a very deeply intuitively held belief or is it something I had to rationalize? Um, and you can look at, um, and this is where the narratives come back in. We ask people, um, about what word do they associate? What feelings do they have when they, uh, are in this situation and the the stories that they tell as they make the choice reveal uh, the way they're thinking and reveal the whole depth that's sitting behind that choice. So there's a whole range of different research methods that we use to, you know, read that mind. And I say, you know, read that mind is in quotes because you're never going to get a perfect read, but sure, you, can get, sure. you can get a lot better than just as, asking people questions as a traditional uh, survey or focus group would do. Do you know, let me just say this system three concept is brilliant. I came across, um, 
Dr. Tamara Jindler. I think she was at Princeton or Yale. Okay. And she coined this concept called an alif, A-L-I-E-F, which is your imagination's beliefs. Ah, and nice. yeah, yeah. It's, it is just fits really wonderful alongside your system three. Mm. Yeah. You know, you know that's, that's, yeah, yeah. I, I've seen, I've seen her work actually. I, I, I hadn't um, thought of it in exactly that way, but that's a, that's a really nice comparison. I will look that up again. Okay. And, um, I, uh, I think, I think that's it. Thank you for making that link because that is really interesting to explore. Yeah. I love the system three idea and I'm going to use it a lot and I will give you plenty cool. of credit. I promise. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's one of the ways we can use price to increase demand? Well, this is where you have to like look at the, the classical way of using price to increase demand is that you cut the price and the quantity demand goes up there. But there's a, the, then of course you're losing, you're losing all your margin. So you don't want to yeah. just yeah, increase exactly. volume exactly. at the expense of margin. So the a couple of ways to reframe the prices that people perceive. One is like the, the, the classical one is you stick another product above the one that you're selling at a higher price. So this, this creates an anchoring bias. So if you're, you know, you're selling your product at, um, at $5, um, just put an $11 product next to it and suddenly $5 looks pretty good value. You're likely to increase the demand for that. Another is to change the range structure. So let's say you have a, um, standard and premium product. Again, let's say $5 for standards, $8 for premium. Um, then as soon as you stick a super premium of $12 above that, then people will move up from the standard to the premium because they, they'll go to the middle option instead of the lower option. So all of these are about changing the way people perceive the price without actually changing the price itself. And um, often to do that, you need to go just be a little bit beyond just the, the number on the price tag and be willing to innovate with your product range and you know, add those premium versions or change the price of something that sits alongside it. Um, essentially, every price, every purchase decision we make, the price is always in comparison to something because numbers yeah. are so so abstract for human beings that five on its own, five dollars, five rand, is mm-hmm. that a good or a bad price? Is that a higher or low price? It is meaningless. It's only a higher or low price compared to something in a certain mm-hmm. context. So mm-hmm. um, if you can change the context and that can be, by adding other products at the top end, or it could be by repositioning this product as, you know, an experiential um, consumption that has a whole emotional um, benefit or a story attached to it, um, and rather than just a commodity that just serves a material need. All of these are, are ways to change that context and increase the perceived value and get people to pay more. Yeah, awesome. So well said, so simple. I love Love that. I can tell you spent a lot of time. You guys have been an awesome team. I was on your website and I can see you got your, you know, your research team and the way you set up your team is really, really, you know, it's, it's diverse in that, you know, you've got a number of different disciplines that really cover all, all sides of this. So yeah, I, yeah, um, I'm going to, the final question I'm going to ask you is about what's in your appendix. But before we go there, I want to talk about quickly self-worth. Right. And I've always thought that you know, some people just inherently know their value. Some people know that the price they've put on themselves, you know, instinctively, they they trigger that sort of same effect back and people feel that they're more. I mean, I had to check myself early in my career when I was charging for talks. You know, there's always this kind of like imposter feeling sometimes where am I charging too much? You know, I haven't written this. You know, the level of book is Lee Caldwell or Roy Southern, you know, you know, (laughs) 
And, yeah. you know, let's talk a little bit about how price affects how other people see us and how we see ourselves. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a really important topic. I've, I, I've spoken to so many people and, you know, I include myself in this earlier in my career who undervalue themselves in both in terms of their own kind of emotional value that they place on themselves, but, but therefore, of course, that feeds through into pricing. And, you know, so many people who are, uh, you know, a freelancer who might be, you know, charging a few hundred pounds, a few hundred dollars a day for their work. Um, when, other people in their sector are charging literally 10 times the amount. And it does come in part, it does come from a um, from from a, a, a lack of self-value, a lack of self-esteem and self-belief. And I, actually, my, my fiancé has written about imposter syndrome, and this is one of the things that we oh, talk really? about together, is, yeah, about the idea that imposter syndrome, where you feel like, do I have a right to be in this room? Do I have a, um, you know... Should I be, am I good enough to be here? Um, one that affects the value that you charge, like it feeds into that conversation you have with clients, but also the, um, one of the, the big insights she's had is that the, this is a, a story that is given to you. This is not, you know, when you walk into a room, especially if you're, if you're young or, um, often if you're a woman or if you're a person of color, there's the, the systems around you are telling you that you shouldn't be there it isn't this is not mm. just like a psychological flaw in you this is something that you're being sold and you know maybe one of the reasons you're being sold that is is implicitly to keep your price down and so yeah we this is this is something that we can and should be fighting back on one of the one of the things we tell ourselves because we know how to do what we do we automatically undervalue it so if, you know, if I know how to give pricing advice or if you know how to uh, talk to people about behavioral psychology, because you know it, you think, oh, well, it can't be that complicated. I know it. It's uh, it's pretty simple. Like I, I'm an mm, expert at this mm. and therefore it's, it is simple for me, but it's not simple for the person you're selling to. So they put a much higher value on it than you do. And one of the, the best piece of advice I ever had from a business consultant in my uh, my first business was, um, he just said, look, double your prices, see what happens. Um, it's uh, You may lose a couple of customers, but you probably keep most of them and you'll be making twice the money. So um, wow. I would say to anyone out there who's a freelancer, who is, um, who is uh, selling their services, just, yeah, try selling them for more. Uh, See what happens. You probably people will wear a much bigger price than you are currently charging in most cases. So uh, and and auto, that will feed back to you. And your once you start charging those amounts and you see that people are willing to pay it, you're going to re retell yourself the story that you're telling about your own worth, and uh, you're going to feel better. Lee, we should be partnering. I'm going to put mm. this out actually on the air. At some stage, we should really think about collaborating, but. Let's yeah, close this it. out with, you know, you've got 30 questions in your appendix. Yep. What are two of the most important questions that people should be asking to know if their price is optimal? Okay. All right. Well, um, so here's uh, question 12. Which customers have you chosen not to sell to? Um, and so this actually, this could go back to that self-esteem, self-value question. Are there people out there who don't value what you do? Well, Stop trying to sell to them. Stop trying to uh, make your pricing work for them. Because if you cut out the bottom 20% of your market that, that values you the least, then you can, that's where you can probably double your price and the, the top 80% will still keep buying from you. So 
figure out who you're not selling to because they don't value you enough. And the other is, uh, do you make the intangible tangible? Um, so I talked about in, the importance of intangible because after, because a lot of what we sell um, and a lot of the value that we provide is associated with the, the stories, the intangible things that come with your service or your product. However, um, it can be hard to convey that to many customers in a way that is that's to them that they can rationalize putting a price on and paying for. So maybe think about some of those stories, think about some of the uh, the intangible aspects of your service and encode them, turn them into something physical. So if you're, a, let's say you're a consultant, um, maybe when you deliver your report to your client, don't just email them a, a PDF, but package it up in a, in a printed bound product, have it couriered over to their office and there is going to sit on their desk for longer. They're going to notice that you've made the effort, made the investment, and they're going to see, okay, you value these words that you've written enough to create this physical object. I should probably value them more as well. Yeah, this is really awesome. Guys, please get this book. But more importantly, go to their website. It's the rationalagency.com, right? Irrationalagency.com. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you guys have a couple of articles and you know, they can, people can get in contact with you. Do you have a newsletter of some sort you send out? Absolutely. If you, uh, you just uh, put your email address in on our website and uh, we send out, um, you know, new insights in behavioral science and new insights into markets and uh, people's psychology uh, every, every few weeks. So uh, please do sign up or just contact me on, on LinkedIn or Twitter where I'm uh, at Lee Blue, L-E-I-G-H Blue. Um, and uh, I'd love to talk to any of your listeners who, who want to chat about these topics. Yeah, thank you so much. And maybe at some point we can have your wife on to talk a little bit about her work as well. So thank you yeah. so much, Lee. I really, really appreciate it. Enjoy your time in Canada, in Vancouver. Enjoy TED. It's always an extraordinary experience, right? Absolutely, yeah. All right, wonderful to meet you, Timothy. I look forward Take to speaking care. again you too. soon. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye now.